Ladies and gents, welcome to a crazy good episode this evening. Today we will be joined by Paul Davis, the filmmaker and author, among many other things, of Lost Boy, the Lost in the Shadows Lost Boys story. J-Mac, you excited to be speaking to Paul? Absolutely. Um, I, I watched his uh, other, he's done a documentary, it's, it's available on the American Wealth in London uh, Blu-ray. Uh, where he did a, a whole kind of, I think he got it after he did a retrospective for the movie. After he did that, he decided, I'm going to do a documentary about this film. It's mm -hmm. so good. And uh, that's what we get on the Blu ray. So I watched that earlier on today as well. And yeah, man, the guy knows his stuff and uh, seems like a good character. So should be a fun conversation. And it's cool that that happens to be one of your favorite movies of all time is American Werewolf in London. Which you wouldn't guess based on the fact I don't even have a poster for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but wow. yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's up there. It's the it's the the horror film that brought me back into the genre after being terrified away from it for about five years when I was a kid. I, mm -hmm. I would I would watch nothing that was even remotely scary in any way. Like I wouldn't even watch Predator for years because of it. <laughs> funnily enough, which is like an episode of Goosebumps. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, that's the film that brought me back into it and made me realise how, how good horror could be and subsequently two years later I've seen The Lost Boys. So. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, so we will, we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about all the stuff that, that Paul's managed to do in his, his career from acting and not only that, right, but I've seen this for so long as that as that book lost in the shadows right mm. and uh i didn't know that there was actually he had done so many different other kind of books along the same vein right and he's almost like he's the banksy of of books except you know who he is right <laughs> booksy. Because, <laughs> booksy that is his new name booksy <laughs> right so he's he's created these books right that are sold out and everybody wants a piece of it now we've we've been lost boys fans forever right and we've we've kind of known about this book right but every time it's come out or there was an opportunity to get it it's gone like that mm. so we will be we will be asking him you know why is it so hard to get and it's it's you can clearly see that there's a reason that it's sought after it just looks like pure heart and soul in a book uh, but mm. we will get into that and much more uh we're just going to kind of bring him on to the show now and chat a bit about basically everything um jmac before we do so i want you to read out some of his testimonials from the people he's worked with yeah, uh, obviously you can see them on screen now, but I'll read them out just in case you can't see them. Uh, this is from uh, Reese Shearsmith. Uh, he was an actor from Him and Doors, which um, I think uh, Paul had written and produced mm. and everything, everything that. So <laughs> uh, Paul produces fantastically fresh scripts that always elevate the genre and surprise and horrify in thrilling new ways. His direction is sharp and subtle, a proper talent. And then we've got John Landis himself. Now, John Landis is... I don't know, he's a god in, in the film world, you know. Um, mm. Paul is very, very tall. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even need to read the rest of that. That's <laughs> that's enough, but uh, I will, though. I will, though. I'm not that terrible a host. Uh, he's also incredibly, incredibly talented and ambitious. His passion for filmmaking is 100% genuine, and his craft continues to grow daily. And Pollyanna McIntosh, who was from him indoors as well, and also The Walking Dead, uh, Paul is as talented, patient, collaborative, and enthused by his work as he is tall. I think he's quite tall. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's super tall, like giraffe tall. Is he tall? <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've, only seen him, I've only seen him sitting down. Um, <laughs> and Wes the one and only Wes Craven, need I say more about who this guy is. Paul is an exceptional cinematic tactician. His short films are frightening, funny, and beautifully shot. He is certainly set to blow the doors of horror and suspense wide open, except for the one with the tiger behind it. 
<laughs> well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> we couldn't give them any more of an introduction than some of the greats there that just have. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Paul. Booksy, Booksy. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Oh. Not bad, not bad. How are you? That looks like something very tasty in your hands. What is it, by the way? I never asked you. Uh, it's the last dribble of my uh, single malt monkey shoulder whiskey. Monkey shoulder. So, um, mm. Yeah, I've got to got to replenish that in the week. So There's figured nothing... I'd use uh, this evening as a as an excuse to polish it off. There's that nothing more bittersweet. <laughs> <laughs> nothing more bittersweet than the last drop of a bottle. You know, mm -hmm. you, you know you Indeed. have to savor it. You you do savor it, but then once it's gone, life just becomes normal again. And, well, this uh, is it. I know I've got an hour to savor it, so <laughs> it will be enjoyed. <laughs> I've got some orange juice. Um, I've got H twenty. <laughs> H20. I like that. That's it sounds hardcore better that way. Here, guys. <laughs> what can I say? Right. So you're a filmmaker. You're an author, right? Um, when you were growing up, did you think to yourself, this is what I wanted to be, an author, a filmmaker, or kind of like ourselves? Because our stories kind of start off the same, right? Mm. Did you just kind of fall into it through following your passion? Um, no, I'm a failed actor. <laughs> It's the truth. Um, Can an actor really I, fail, though? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think you can. I mean, I kind of had the last laugh a bit later on, but we'll get to that. But um, I, um, it's so funny when I look back on it now, but at the time, it absolutely crushed me um, because I really didn't know what else I was going to do. Uh, I knew that I wanted to be involved in movies. And, uh, and movie making in some respect and acting kind of felt like the easy way in. Um, so I went and auditioned for a drama school in South London and they asked you to kind of prepare like a monologue to, to sit down and, and do with the people who were gonna say yes or no. Mm. And I'm looking at all these other people that are there and they're practicing and this kind of stuff. And they're like doing Shakespeare and, and like great novels and this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting here memorizing the dialogue between Samuel Jackson and Tim Roth at the end of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and yeah. I just knew there and then I was like, I need a plan B. Oh, <laughs> you know? And obviously I didn't get in, you know, I, I did the whole, the whole thing. Uh, I wasn't allowed to swear, which was awkward because when you're doing a Samuel Jackson impression and you can't <laughs> drop an F-bomb, I think I may have said mother flipper. <laughs> I've had it with these Monday to Friday planes. <laughs> Monday to Friday planes. I, I said these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. <laughs> See, I, I, I was the PG I was the PG thirteen Samuel Jackson before that was a thing. Um, out of sheer necessity. Um, yeah. So so yeah, naturally I didn't get in because who would be that stupid? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I then I then uh, enrolled in a local college on a media course and an English course, and that's kind of where I fell in love with writing. And um, then I kind of rediscovered The Exorcist, and that was kind of like the big eye-opening uh, experience because I'd seen the film uh, countless times when I was I think I was nine years old because obviously it was banned in the UK for a very very long time. Yeah, but my my brother was um uh, a regular at like a mom and pop video store and they had a copy still under the counter for those that were curious <laughs> um, so i managed to obtain it that way 
and I saw it and I loved it. But to me at that age, you know, being the Fangoria reader that I was obsessed with gore and, you know, all these, uh, you know, the, the horror movies that were, that were coming out of the big makeup renaissance of the eighties, you know, it was just a makeup movie to me. You know, it was about the things that Reagan was doing. And, you know, I giggled whenever she would curse and all that kind of stuff. It, you know, it didn't affect me in that respect, but I saw a wonderful documentary by Mark Kermode, uh, which oh, was yeah. produced by the BBC uh, yeah. called The Fear of God, uh, which was in 1998. And mm -hmm. that to me, that really kind of, the stories that were being told by the cast and crew is like, kind of, you know what, it'd be really interesting to learn more about movies uh, like The Exorcist. Um, but shortly after that, The Exorcist was re-released in cinemas in the UK uh, for Halloween in 1998. And I just turned 17. But I was tall enough to, you know, pass for over 18. So I went to see it. I went to see it the morning that it came, that it reopened. And uh, I had the entire screen to myself. It was like 10 a.m. on a Friday morning. And I came out of that screening shaking. I'd never been affected like that by a movie before. Mm. And then it just suddenly hit me as like, I wish that I could make something that made people feel the way I feel right now. You know, and that really was the catalyst for, you know, what has, you know, happened 20 years later. But that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And from there, I started out writing for horror magazines. And uh, I, I did a bunch of stuff online. And then I, I became the token Brit writer for Horrorhound magazine when they first started in 2006. How does that um, happen? I mean, how do, how do you get from just a guy that goes so, on to write stuff to being a guy that does it for these magazines so so horrorhound was brand new at the time and i was already friendly with the editor uh, who's still the editor nathan hayneman uh, because we were both members and fans of the todd mcfarland movie maniacs action figures and there was a forum yeah. dedicated to those action figures um and there's still people that i still know and talk to to this day that i met 20 years ago on that forum and nathan was one of them so when he was starting the magazine he knew my passion for horror movies and for cinema and that I was a history nerd as well, because I was doing a degree in cinema history at the time as well. And one of the things that he wanted to do with Horrorhound is in every issue, he wanted to have like a big retrospective to whatever movie was kind of celebrating a big anniversary. And one of those, of course, was an American Wealth in London that came up um, yeah. for the 25th anniversary in 2006. And because I was the British guy on the staff, naturally <laughs> he asked me if I wanted to do it. And that was an eye-opening experience because it was the first time that I kind of had to reach out to people for interviews and kind of play that game. And I, I did it. And f first of all, Horrorham was brand new. So people weren't exactly excitedly responding saying, yeah, of course, you know, it was like, who, <laughs> what? What's, what's a whorehound, you know? Um, <laughs> what's the podcast? <laughs> no, yeah. seriously, that's, that's a true story. The, uh, the, the publisher actually called up one, uh, I think it was Barnes and Noble at the time. And he said, um, cause obviously if you say horror in American accent, it can sound a bit like horror. the other word. Yeah. And he said horror. to the, he said to the guy at Barnes and Noble, he's like, have you got horrorhound in stock? He's like, no, sir, we don't stock pornography. Good day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, I, I did the I did the article for for Horror on American Wealth in London, which was very difficult because nobody was really playing ball, and so I was using like 
old articles and the 2001 DVD as kind of reference material. And that's when it kind of struck me that, you know, an American Wolf in London is a seminal horror film. You know, if mm. you ask people, you know, comedy horror, the two, the two, well, the three that they will almost always say, Shaun of the Dead, Evil Dead, and American Wolf in London. Yeah. Scream, uh, but I kind of, I, I, that's postmodern. That's not comedy. Almost a parody. Um, Scream's almost uh, a parody. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, Sc- Scream is a horror movie with a nudge and a wink. You know, it's not, yeah. I don't think it's kind of designed to make you laugh. You know, that, that was scary movie and that failed. That's a parody. Um, <laughs> that made me a laugh. <laughs> you know, um, Nick strong. Hey, oh, God. <laughs> that's so funny to this day. Um, do you know what's funny? You, you, all, you just when, mentioned when, around the pi- when they're yeah. around the piano in the second one doing mystical shake your ass, the scene from the exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> My God. You, you mentioned cheap. that, um, the obviously American Wolf in London is a, a seminal kind of horror horror film, mm-hmm. um, and uh, funnily enough, it's the one that it's the one that brought me back into the 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 world of horror after being terrified away from it for for many many years. And I realised that a horror ca- a, for, a horror film can be something that it's not just a film that scares you; it can affect you in other ways. And that's something I, I really uh, absolutely. Appreciate that. And I, I think the thing that really works about an American Werewolf in London, and ironically, is the thing that um, that halted its production for such a long time, because John Landis wrote it when he was eighteen in nineteen sixty nine, yeah, and couldn't get it made until after he had monster hits such as Kentucky Fried Movie, Animal House, and The Blues Brothers. Because mm. an American Werewolf in London, a lot of people don't know this, is an independent movie. Universal only mm. bought it after it was finished. Yeah. So Landis was not, he was a producer on it as well. He was an uncredited producer on it. Um, but he could only do that after he had the success that he, you know, that he'd accumulated through those universal movies. And it was supposed to be a universal movie, but they kind of did this really slide backhanded thing regarding the budget on the blues brothers that John wasn't happy about. So he was like, absolutely not. It's not going to be for universal. And then halfway through production, he gets a call from Ned Tanner at universal saying, Hey, we just bought the North American rights for your film. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um the the uh oh god, I had that, there was something you said there and I had a question for it. Oh come back to me. Sorry. Um okay. the yeah, the American Wolf in London thing it was in my house, it was a bit of a it was almost a taboo because my my, my older brother who I he's six years older than me so I always kind of idolized him and always wanted to do everything he did he had told me that that film gave him night terrors and real kind of psychological problems when he was young so it was it was a real brave move for me to do that one as my first one back into the you know and into the the horror uh, it, is, it is it is a shock it is a shocking film in places and and again i don't i don't really think of the film i don't think of it as a comedy at all the thing is that film is so infused with john landis's own personality and energy that it can't help but be funny because john is naturally a very very funny person so mm-hmm. you know and and his his personality in that respect can be very disarming and can be very you, you know you you feel more comfortable you know, which works great for a horror film because, you know, and Spielberg learned this on Jaws. The first time you scare the audience, they're not going to trust you for the rest of the film. So the brilliant <laughs> thing about using humor is you disarm the audience again. You know, you relax them so that you can hit them again with a scare. Have you seen uh, Army of the Dead yet? 
I haven't. I haven't, but I haven't. know that there is a nod to an American world. <laughs> there's, there's a very there's egregious a nod. nod. There's a nod, and then there's this. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I didn't oh, finish yeah. the film, unfortunately. I, I didn't. It, it didn't really. It didn't grab me as much as it did a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But uh, that that moment, it's it's almost shot for shot and word for word, the right. the, the first attack sequence, and it and it made me sit back and it, I did this kind of movie fan thing where you go, hmm. <laughs> Be, before I kind of talk about, oh, about how you kind of started with American Werewolf and Horror. Uh, I have to tell you a story, right? This was American Werewolf in London. The only story I really have, right, was my little... I think I told you this, J-Mac, recently on previous podcasts, but my little sister, she's like three years younger <laughs> than me, and she come screaming through our living room one night because um, she turned the TV on. And this was back before like the digital age where you could save stuff and watch on demand. This was when you had to tune in to watch something. So she turned the TV on, and it was already on a channel, as it used to be like... And she comes screaming through and she's like, oh my God. And she was like so frightened. And I'm like, what the hell? And I was looking at my mum and we're like, what's going on? She's like, oh, I was watching this thing and I turned it on. And you know that scene where he's he's turned into the wolf, his eyes are all yellow and the big teeth, mm -hmm. this scene. The hospital, the hospital she, bed. She yeah. turned that on at that point, right? And got such a fright at such a young age. Wow. Like, that it scarred her. <laughs> absolutely scarred her and when i went through and was like what's this oh that's american werewolf in london and she was like she would never go near that for the rest of her life she doesn't think she'd watch it again because it scarred her man <laughs> ironically i mean that's a really powerful moment in the film that yeah. and nazi demon sequence is yeah. just like what the <laughs> now, hell could you do that now you could yeah. not do yeah. that anymore probably not probably not <laughs> but the, the irony the irony that i love is that little moment in the bed where he's got like the pancake makeup on and and the big teeth and the, and the uh, contact lenses out of everything that david norton went through on that movie you know all the, the the makeup and everything for the transformation that one afternoon was the most uncomfortable for him <laughs> on in the entire movie and it was the contact yeah, lenses because they were big glass contact mm. lenses the boys, boys also went through <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's I, I right. Wear, yeah, I wear one. contact lenses uh, every day. I wear contact lenses, but I wear modern ones. You know, I, mm. I wear. You know, they're they're almost made of water, and uh, mm. I couldn't imagine having to put a bit of glass in my eye. Just, it, I'd I'd still be wearing glasses uh, outside of my. Eye. <laughs> well, there there was the, the guy. I think he passed away recently. Actually, Doctor Green Thumb, not Doctor Green Thumb, Doctor Green Spoon. <laughs> Doctor Green Spoon. That's even better. <laughs> Not green thumb, silly. Green spoon. It's getting a bit too Cypress Hill there. Um, <laughs> Dr. Green, he, he was like the contact lens guy in Hollywood. And he was uh, he, he was the guy who administered, uh, actually had the contact lenses for the Lost Boys made and was on set to, to administer them because they could only be in for like, I think at the most 15 minutes. But there were takes that that went a lot longer than that. God, <laughs> yeah, the, the little kind of uh, it'll be fine. Just uh, yeah, out, take, out of all the stories, <laughs> out of all the stories I was told, um, you know, everybody. I mean, the guys who played the boys specifically, or or had something to say about those contact lenses. There's mm. there's a story from all of them regarding that contact those contact lenses. Alex mm. Winter tore his cornea, I think. God. Um, when they were uh, shooting in the cave, when uh, Marco gets staked, spoilers. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think, I think we need one, to worry one, about one, the, the, the yeah, one, one spoiled the tonight. Um, kicked was they were kicking dust because obviously it was very furious and that kind of stuff. And some of the dust got under the contact, Ooh. under the contact lens, and Ooh. scratched his eye. That gives me the chance. So that was a couple of days filming that uh, Alex was uh, missing for. Damn. But, so we'll, we'll yeah. get onto that. <laughs> yep. So to kind of to preface we, that, really, the the Lost Boys book and the the American Werewolf in London one, you've got a so you made the the American Werewolf in London documentary. Mm-hmm. Did you then go? You know, I fancy putting this in kind of like a almost like a memoir about the movie into the book, or did did you have the idea for the book first? No, no, no. It was it was always the documentary first. But while mm-hmm. I was making the documentary, I had so specifically while we were cutting it, I realized very early on that there was going to be a lot of excess material that would be. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be a shame for it to go to waste. Um, so I already started contacting publishers at that point. And ironically, like, because this is a, this is another one of the things that John Landis has said. You know, because I, I found so many people that worked on that movie, he said that the FBI should just give me their ten most wanted list and say that all of them were in an American <laughs> world in London, and I would find them. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. So, um, but but the thing is, there were there were a lot of people that I couldn't find when we were doing the documentary, and then as soon as you wrap and you're editing and it's picture locked, you start getting emails saying, "Hey, I, I was involved. Why why aren't I in the documentary?" And I was like, "God damn it!" So <laughs> so that was kind of like the, the 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 catalyst for for doing a book, and it was always the idea to do it for it to be a companion to mm-hmm. companion piece of the documentary, right? But but for some reason, I think once Universal got involved. Um, once we we sold the documentary, it became a lot more difficult for to kind of get something like that over the line because on the legal process of just getting the documentary cleared mm-hmm. was so meticulous um, to the point where they were literally coming back with photos and materials that they owned and saying, well, who has the rights to this? You do. <laughs> you own this. <laughs> so so we're mean? pretty sure... We're pretty so we, sure the legal department just handed our folder to the intern that week. <laughs> we had a, we did speak to a, a documentary filmmaker before, and he made a, a documentary that's on Shudder about um, mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery. And oh yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 I think this, I think I did this one solo for some reason. I think Kevin mm-hmm. was unavailable that night, um, but I remember asking him about that process of using uh, footage from the movie in the doc, um, and he basically said that he couldn't do it. He could not use any any footage from the movie. Every every kind of still, there's still photographs in the movie, but even mm-hmm. those stills are just people that were local to the area taking pictures on yeah. set. Because when he actually got in contact with, I think I think Paramount, I think it was Paramount that, that did that. I, I might be wrong. The, might be yeah, wrong. the original Pet Cemetery is Paramount. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, I'm so proud of myself for remembering that. So um, he got in touch with them to say right, how much, and they were looking for something like $60,000 per second. And Yeah, that's that's about right. I had exactly the same thing. I caught it. So initially, when we 
were we put like a five minute reel together because we just went and started interviewing people like because we got jenny agatha we got john woodvine we got david schofield mm. and i was like shit this is legit you know <laughs> so we got, we, got, we got to make this now um, and this this is before this is before i'd even like got in contact with john landis so at this point he had no idea what we were doing and so we did about five or six interviews and then i reached out to him and um I, I got in touch with him via Mick Garris, who is, if you've never met Mick, he is the nicest guy in horror. He is he is the Rolodex of horror, basically. So if you want to reach, reach out to somebody, go to Mick. Um, don't take that as an endorsement. I don't want people to just suddenly start bombarding <laughs> him with requests for email addresses. Um, but he forwarded an email that I'd written to Landis and like, Two days later, I got a direct reply from Landis, like seeing his name pop up in my inbox. What was I that like? Down on the floor, and I, I started doing that thing that Homer does, where he goes on the floor in a circle. And his his reply was was polite, but he did say, you know, you don't own any of this, and what the hell do you expect to do with it? Because you can't release it. You know, you mm -hmm. can't have anything from the movie in it and release it because it's Universal. And I just kind of came back with a very, ah, it'll be all right on the night go. Kind of <laughs> and he actually, he actually called me out on that. He said, um, he said, you British, you're all the same. I had this on Werewolf. Everybody on the crew were like, ah, it'll work. <laughs> so no other crew in the world is like that except for the British. So I think I interviewed him in that moment. Um, but he, he essentially said to me, look, if you get Universal's blessing, then I will give you anything you want for this, you know, interviews, images, archives, whatever. So I emailed Colleen Ben, who was the head of um, Home Entertainment, Universal Home Entertainment, and I told her what I was doing. And this was 2007 at this point. And I knew that The Wolfman was in production, the Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. we'd literally, the day after we'd, the day before we interviewed Rick Baker for the documentary was the day that he did the first makeup test of that famous photo of Benicio del Toro strangling mm. Rick when they did the very first makeup test. That was the day before, so I knew that all that all that stuff was happening. And whenever a genre movie or a specific monster movie from a studio comes out, they're going to re-release all of the other movies that they can tie in to that production. Yeah. So they came back to me like, oh, we have no interest in re-releasing an American Wolf in London right now. And I was like, you say that now, but the Wolfman's <laughs> coming. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have a Blu-ray yet. You know? and, and he was just like, oh, we're not interested. So I actually then, I, I called up the licensing department at Universal and I got the, I had the same thing that the guy who did the Pet Cemetery Dog, I called him up and I said, and I just pulled a number out of my ass. I was like, how much would 18 minutes of footage from the film cost me? And she came out and she was like, oh, 600,000, something like that. And I was just like, okay, well, that's this project. I'll take 26. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and like, it, it was almost as though the, the, the wonderful young lady on the end of the phone could literally just hear my spirits crushing <laughs> in that moment. And she was like, well, what is it you're doing? And I told her exactly what the project was, feature-length documentary on the making of an American world in London. And I've got everybody in terms of interviews. And she was like, what, and home video don't want this? Are they nuts? I was like, well, you work with them. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, look, 
And and honestly, I thought that this was just the most polite shit sandwich that I'd ever been served in my life. I didn't think I was going to hear anything bad, but she said, give me your email address. Let me go talk to them. I'll email you in 30 minutes. And much to my surprise, she did. And all the email said was, send it here when it's done. And then it was the address. So I just forwarded that. I forwarded that email to John Landis. And 20 minutes later, he replied, I'll be in London in two weeks. <laughs> wow. And that's, that's how that happened. And we we then showed him the five-minute reel that we'd cut together. And literally, like, watching that, that <laughs> beaming bearded face with little iPod headphones in, watching this thing, literally watching the beard drop. As his joy, it's like, oh my god, I thought that guy was dead. You know, <laughs> so, oh, man. you know what? And, I think this is going to need to be a separate podcast altogether. Oh. We need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk a lot more about Beware the Moon because I think that you've, but, yeah, yeah, you've hey, got a lot that, of stories that, there. <laughs> yeah, that that was the moment that got that got Beware the Moon um, basically to the finish line, and because yeah. John just kind of shepherded it from there and. You know, because we we couldn't get David Norton for some reason. He didn't want to talk about it. And John, John was like, emailed him and was like, "Be in the documentary, you baby." <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to talk about the best movie I ever did or was in or anything. Well, this this is the thing. I mean, I I think David was in a was in a very different place uh, in his life at that point because if you meet him now, completely different person. You know, right. he's he's totally embraced uh, werewolf. Um, and when we go on to talk about the Lost Boys, you know, there were members of the cast that were like that that aren't anymore. So, wow. wow. Okay. God. So that kind of when you when you had created that Beware the Moon book, did that mm-hmm. kind of because I'm right in saying I've not seen anything. You've not made a, a documentary on the Lost Boys, right? No, no. Um, the book. So the Beware the Moon book happened because I. Mm-hmm. I I knew about these guys, Dead Mouse Productions, who'd just done a Return of the Living Dead mm-hmm. uh, book. And I loved the style of it because one of the books that I'm really a fan of in terms of, um, you know, like a, a, the the ultimate chronicle of the making of a movie is Peter mm-hmm. Brack's uh, Crystal Lake Memories. And I love the format of the, uh, the kind of inter- uh, documentary on a page format mm-hmm. where it's not being mud. The, the content isn't being muddied by my words. You know, it's them. These are their words. I cannot misquote you. You know, mm-hmm. this is exactly what you said. Um, so that was that was the way that I'd always envisioned doing a Beware the Moon book. And so I just emailed Gary after seeing this prototype of the Return of the Living Dead book. <laughs> the same thing I said to the guy when I did the documentary. I was like, you're a fan of American World by any chance? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and it, that, that one was really easy to do because I already had the enti- all of the content transcribed. Mm. And I already had like a basic script for Beware the Moon in a Word document. So all I really needed to do was to go in and plug holes. And I knew that there was a lot more about the pre-production that wasn't touched upon in the documentary. So that's how um, Beware the Moon happened. And it was it was an instant hit. It sold out within, I think, a week, the first run. Uh, we did a thousand uh, copies, uh, which were all signed and numbered. Um, and then, uh, because of that, the, the publishers immediately came to me and said, so what's the next one? Ah, and, and it very nearly was not the lost boys. It oh, was cool. an 11th hour switch. Okay. It was going to be a book on the poltergeist movies. Still okay. Good. 
And I, I got to the point where I was making that Excel spreadsheet of who to reach out to and writing down like contact info and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was on holiday in Florida at the time with my partner. And we were invited to uh, a friend of ours is the uh, head programmer at the Enzian Theater in Orlando. And um, they were screening The Lost Boys that night. And he was like, you should come out, hang out. It's fun. You know, it's kind of like a rock and roll atmosphere. And it really was, you know. Um, and when that Warner Brothers logo comes up at the beginning and you hear the, the whole place erupted, the whole place absolutely erupted. And then my partner kind of nudged me and said, this should be your next book. And then it just kind of sat with me for the rest of the screening. And then I kind of made up my mind. So yeah, it was Lost Boys, which was terrifying. Because wow. coming in to do the American Werewolf book was easy because I'd already established relationships with everybody. Now I found myself back where I was in 2006, reaching out to the American Werewolf people for the first time all over again. You mm. know, so I kind of, and I knew that Lost Boys. I think, has he frozen? Either that or he's messing with us. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. I think he's frozen. While we wait for him to come back in, uh, Jerry B at home asks, where can someone buy the werewolf documentary yeah. film? It is basically on the second. Hello. There oh, we yeah, go. You're back. back. You're back. back. Yeah, sorry. I think yeah. you... okay. did we freeze on your end or did, because you froze on ours. Everybody went. So ah, right. it must have been yeah. my end. Ah, yeah. We, just um, we can still see each other, but uh, we, it, we were just okay. asking a, a question from the audience here. Yeah. That says, where, where can someone buy the, the werewolf documentary film? But it is available, it, obviously, on the Blu rays. It is, uh, yeah, it is on the Blu ray release of An American Wealth in London, any edition of the American Wealth in London Blu ray, because I think there's been like three or four now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, it's on there in, in its yeah, yeah. full 93 minutes glory, which is two yeah. minutes longer than the fucking film. <laughs> I look back at yeah. it now and I could easily cut 30 minutes out of it. I was just being I was being a fanboy. But you were, you know, enjoy kind of you were enjoying yourself, man. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's it. you were enjoying of, yourself. And that's, that's, that's why, why we make these it. things, man. I made yeah. it as a fan, so it kind of makes sense. The, the last when you cut off, you were basically saying that you were now in the position you were with uh, Werewolf where you where you were you were yeah. kind of reaching out to people, but you obviously you had the werewolf doc behind you at that point. Did that help you then? I did. I, I had the lost boy. I, I had the werewolf doc and the book at that point. So I was sending PDFs to people of the uh, the American werewolf book so that they had an example mm -hmm. of what this this um, project would be. Um, but the the thing that really was a concern off the bat for me is obviously, you know, with with the controversy surrounding the two Corys. I knew immediately that as soon as someone was going to get like an interview request to talk about the Lost Boys, that there would be those suspicions. It could be like a TMZ hit piece, you mm. know, like an exploitation. Yeah, you know, trying trying to get the stories behind the stories behind the Corys, you know. <laughs> um, and so I, I just had to be very, um, I had to be very aware of that in my my opening emails. Um, just to say, look, I'm a fan of the film. I'm a filmmaker. I am a fan of filmmaking. I want to celebrate the movie. I don't want to gossip, basically. Yeah. Um, and the, but then, of course, you know, when we actually got into the interviews, if people did want to say things, you know, and so be it on their head, 
I I would I would be tactile about what would make it into the book and what wouldn't, you know, because I'm not it's not my job to stir shit up like 30 years after the fact. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but um but some people were very open about some stuff. I mean, there's there's one story um cuz getting access to Joel Schumacher was was huge. And the the in, we did about nine hours worth of interviews. It's amazing. Um, over, I think, and that was over like two calls. You know, Joel loved to talk, and <laughs> he was one of the most entertaining storytellers I've ever had the pleasure of. Um, yeah, rest of, in peace. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, he yeah, he was he was absolutely wonderful. But he he told me a story because I'd interviewed Brooke McCarter also mm. rest in peace yeah uh, back in 2006 when i was at horror hound because i was i inducted the lost boys into the horror hound hall of fame as well that was wow. one of the things that I, I, I did um and i spoke to brooke about it at a convention and oh, this is the thing i loved about brooke as well he was so affable and so proud to have been part of that film because i was talking to, i was at one of the spooky empires and i was talking to the promoter and i'd not met brooke at that point and I think he was on his way to his table and he, he just came over and introduced himself like out of the blue. Mm. And he was like, Hey man, Brooklyn Carter, love boy. I was like, I know who you are. I just thought it was so cool and so sweet. And, you know, so I was endeared to Brooke from that moment on. And we spoke a lot over, over that weekend. And, and, and I asked him if I could like just get some quotes off him, you know, on the record, should I do anything on the Lost Boys down the line? He was totally cool with it. And Hayne was the same. You know, there were there were times where I wouldn't be working on a specific project, but it's always good to kind of have these things in the bank in case you need them. Mm-hmm. And for Corey and Brooke, I'm glad I did that because yeah. you know then the book happened and I they got to be included, and it was important that they were included. Which answers your question from earlier. That's why I never pursued doing a documentary on it because I could not do it without Brooke or Corey. And even, even after the book, uh, the recent run, someone again asked the question, you know, is, is a documentary going to happen? And I was like, well, if it couldn't happen with Brooke and Corey, I certainly cannot do it without, without Joel, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, it, it just, you, you couldn't really, you couldn't really do it justice. So yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate. These are, uh... It makes you kind of appreciate, you know, the, the the opportunities to meet some of these what you would call screen heroes that you mm-hmm. like. Because we 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 attend all the conventions. We do all the if you if you're ever at a convention in the UK, chances are you're seeing us to running around with microphones and a big muscly guy with a big huge camera rig. Because <laughs> um, we we go around doing all that. That's literally how we kind of became really good friends with G Tom Mac and that's where mm-hmm. we met the Lost Boys at the Lost Boys uh, reunion. I don't know if you were you there in Manchester. I wasn't. I oh. see this see this is this is the kind of the blessing and the curse of the book because I think were there copies made available for that event, we would certainly have been there. Or mm-hmm. I would have at least been aware of the event because that was the thing. I wasn't aware of it. It wasn't until right. it was happening that people were telling me that, oh my God, there are so many copies of your book being signed here. And I was mm-hmm. like, where? What's happening? <laughs> you know? why, why, are and, they, why is the numbers so limited? Uh, unbelievable. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll go into this for you because this is a question I get asked a lot. It's basically, it's it's Dead Mouse, Cult Screenings UK, they're the company, the publishers. 
it's basically their credo to make limited edition collectibles. Right. Okay. So they always go into every print run knowing that it's either going to be a, a thousand or 500 copies. You know, okay. that's sadly just the way they operate. Um, and it's written into the deal as well. You know, I don't want to get into contracts and stuff like that, but, but for both books, um, they essentially had the right to do one hardback for each and two soft cover editions. And then they have to, if they want to do more, they have to come back and we have to do a completely new deal. Um, and to, to be fair, and there's another thing that I want to address as well. Um, because I, I know it, it affected a lot of people, and I, I was very, very distraught and upset when the the first hardcover editions of Lost in the Shadows came out. Because I wasn't happy with where they were being printed, um, and Lost Boys at that point, I think, was the biggest book in terms of page count that they'd done. And with these things being shipped off to all four corners of the globe, I was um, I was wor- I was worried when like a few people would say, "Oh, my book turned up damaged," like the binding had come away. I had seen that, and yeah, and as as soon as I saw like two or three of those, I, it just kind of confirmed my fears that this was going to be an unfortunate trend with a lot mm-hmm. of these, especially those that are traveling globally. You know, because postal service, they're just going to throw these things around, and mm-hmm. you know. And so when that happened, and and this is another thing, it's like I would get messages of people mm-hmm. blaming me as if I sit at home and print these myself. <laughs> yeah. um, but in but this is the only thing that I can tell people. Like in t- in terms of the company, I don't work for them. I wrote the book, and and I'll go and promote it because I want people to buy it and I want people to enjoy it. But you know, when they turn up damaged, I wish I could replace every single one of them. Yeah, but. I didn't send them in the first place, you know, and it's the publishers who took people's money. It's not me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking, but that is why um, I would not let them do any more hardbacks. So oh, we right. actually switched printers. We, I made them switch to a UK printer and I actually prefer the soft covers to the hard covers. I know the hard covers, they'll, they'll be more collectible because they're signed and they're numbered and whatnot, but the, the soft cover that, you feel like real books you know it doesn't feel like i'm it if i sneeze on it it's not going to fall apart you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah not but not that i go around sneezing on books that's not something <laughs> i just not like the, t- the test that's not the yeah. pet's challenge for books for me but um but i i re- <laughs> yeah you know that would be it it would just like new york bestseller just a snot sticker on it an official booksy sticker booksy. there you go I've, I've got i've got a new name and an official sticker yeah. it's happening that's, that's, what, that's, that's what this podcast happen, does guys. that's what this podcast does i mean one, one thing one thing i would say is that um normally if we if we do have a, a guest on who's written a book the first thing we'll do is go and get the book and read it before we talk to mm-hmm. them we couldn't, couldn't do it, do it. We couldn't do it with yours. And- well, I okay, so I'll let you guys in on something. Um, because of the success of the new print that sold out, I think, within three days, um, the publishers again immediately came back to me and said, we have to do another one. And I, I then went back to them and I said, I'm all for that, but I'm not 
going because because I've kept saying to people, this is a limited edition. It's the final print. This is it. No more. It needs to be something more. So if mm. we're doing another edition, it has to be a real second edition with new content. Okay. So okay. we're in we're in discussions. <laughs> and if that if that does happen, the first thing I will do is a chapter dedicated to Joel. That's amazing. And dedicated yeah. to his legacy. Um, and one of the other areas that I would love to explore is the unmade 1990 sequel written by Jeffrey Boehm that Joel was supposed to direct. Because hmm. I've got the script, and it's I very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So he's that, got the script. He's got the script. Um, I've, got the, I've, got, I've got the Jeff Barron script. Um, <sighs> there was no way, there was no way a movie in 1990 was going to have a scene in which a vampire picks up a Ferris wheel and throws it. <laughs> That's your budget right there. <laughs> <laughs> what? So I think we, I think we kind of know why the movie never happened. But yeah. um, but it's interesting. It would you know the Corys were coming back. Jameson was was going to be you know it was the Frog Brothers. It was yeah. it was Corey Haim. I think Michael was in it, but it was lo it was Lost Girls. So it was it was a group of girls. Right. Um, well, that's very progressive for the nineteen ninety. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I guess I guess they just needed to do something that wasn't. Well, the boys were all dead. <laughs> I, <laughs> that, that said that said one of the first things one of the first things i did um when my movie career kind of took off i actually got to go and meet with warner brothers to pitch ideas and i did pitch a lost boys i want to say it's, it's definitely 100 percent a sequel but the idea was that it would reboot the series mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. use the old character, the the ex the characters that are still alive to reboot Past it with generation. new characters. Yeah, exactly. The way it should be. Um, yeah, yeah. And I actually I, I pitched it to Joel, and he loved it. And had I actually got any further than Warner Brothers saying, "No, it's fine. We're going to concentrate on the CW TV series because that's worked out well." Um, <laughs> it it would have brought back David as well because wow. I devised a way. Mm -hmm to keep him in the story and actually explain how he would have aged by 30 years. Do you know, just an idea for you, but this, you know, your pitch to Warner Brothers could also be something in the second edition. It would absolutely explore that. It would, be, it would be, it would, it would it's be fan a fiction there, right? pitch. <laughs> right? I look, there's an entire book of how you made the first movie, but just look at the last chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know so, the rest of it. So give us um, just, uh, obviously, we don't want to talk about the content of the book so much mm -hmm. that people were like, oh, well, we don't need to read it now. But give us your favorite part of the book, why it's your favorite, and what was your best your best interview, your best question, your best moment, your best answer? Okay, so so there, there's there's a multitude of things. One, one of the things I was really proud of, um, when I first spoke to Joel, he said to me explicitly, you'll never get Jason and Jamie to talk about it. And so that was like throwing down the gauntlet. I immediately had to make sure that I got Jason and Jamie. And again, like Landis and the FBI list, I got to them. And I, I managed to convince them that what I was doing was a celebration. And 
I went into both of those interviews thinking that I was kind of just going to be the 20 minute armed annoyance, you know, get out of the way. I was on the phone to both of them for about an hour and a half a piece. And they were both the most charming, loveliest people I've ever spoken to. Wow. And remember when I mentioned about people that kind of weren't fans of the film and then have now embraced it. Jason was very much one of those people. And you can tell that he's embraced it because he's doing conventions. He's doing yeah. cameo now. So he's fully embraced it. Although it was a little disheartening. Um, I actually met him in person for the first time at Monster Palooza in Los Angeles in t- uh, mm-hmm. 2019. And I went up to him and uh, his handler like didn't understand. I just wanted to like say thank you to him for participating in the book. That I didn't want anything signed. And he felt very put out that I wasn't handing him money. <laughs> so I was like, no, no, no. I just want to say thank you to him. And I shook Jason's hand and I said, you know, I just want to say thank you for being a part of Lost in the Shadows. And he was like, oh, great. What's that? And I was like, it's the, <laughs> oh, God. It's the Lost, um... Lost Boys book. You <laughs> You've been signing for. it all day. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, it's the book that you did the interview for a couple of years ago. And he was like, oh. And he, he was like, oh, was I in it? I was like, yeah. yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. And, and I don't, I don't know why I did it. This is just the kind of person I am. But as I, before I walked away, I was like, well, it meant a lot to Joel. And then I walked off. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't not say something. So yeah, good word, say something. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't bite my tongue in those situations. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a curse, but mm. you know, but he was, but the actual interview with him was lovely. It was one of my favorites and he was mm. so personable and he didn't pull any, pull any punches. He trashes twilight. <laughs> in it, I mean, like six or seven times, as everybody should. You know? <laughs> but um, but yeah, Jamie was great as well. Um, what was okay? So one of the one of the things I loved was learning about the history of the development of the film. How it started out as like the Goonies with vampires, mm-hmm. um, and there was some very interesting, like how how that all came about. It started off with the screenplay by um, Jan Fisher and James Jeremias which was essentially a send-up of Peter Pan. The idea mm-hmm. was that Peter Pan was the head vampire, and that's why, you know, hence the, ti- the title was the only thing that really stuck. Because um, David's name in it was Peter, and the kids were, were still Michael, and uh, I can't remember Toodles. what the other kid is. I don't think Toodles is Toodles <laughs> might have been in there, actually. Um, in, but it's only kind of referenced once because, because again, the great thing about meeting James Jeremiah and interviewing him was he gave me copies of like the first two drafts that he and Jan had written, and the only time it, it's it's pretty egregious. But the only thing that where it does kind of say, yeah, we are ripping off J.M. Barry's uh, IP, was uh, there was a moment that was kind of like the um, uh, the drinking of the, the blood in the cave. Mm-hmm. This was this was the early version of that scene where David um, was trying to get Michael to jump off a cliff. Well, I guess the bridge scene, in a way. The holding onto yeah. the bridge. It was, it, was, it was David trying to get Michael to jump off the cliff um, and saying, well, you can fly now. And then he turns to him and he says, well, you know, who are you supposed to be, Peter Pan? And he just kind of shrugs and goes, maybe. <laughs> you know, and that's the, uh, so it's not kind of denying it, but it's also not confirming it. But um, so that was great. And I learned also, and this is all hearsay, so I don't know how much of it is true. But apparently when Richard Donner 
was um, signed on to direct originally. Um, he, a, a friend of James Jeremiah's who was working at Paramount had heard a conversation between Dick Donner and somebody else. Um, and it alluded to the fact that even as early as 1985, Steven Spielberg was in development with Hook mm. and had already cast Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook at that point. Right. The big difference was that it was going to be a musical and irony of ironies, Michael Jackson was going to be Peter Pan. <laughs> that was the original plan. That was the original plan. Um, and Peter apparently... <laughs> he literally would have been. It. I had to do I it. Know. But, so, so, but the, the, the gist of the conversation is that someone had heard from someone. So I'm not saying that this actually happened or there was any truth to it. But it sounds as though it could have happened. Was that obviously because Spielberg had produced the Goonies, him and Dick Donner were pretty tight. And Spielberg had asked Dick Donner if he could remove any instance of Peter Pan, any kind of reference from the script. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how it ended up with everything mm -hmm. kind of being taken out. So, but I, I love, you know, some of the changes that James made, you know, he, so the mother was originally called Wendy. So they changed her name to Lucy because then it was a nod to Bram Stoker. And mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, These um, twisted tales of movie making. This is amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's eye opening. And I honestly, you know, the, the lost boys, you know, I watched the film a lot when I was a kid, but, you know, and this isn't me trying to sound like a cinema snob, but I think when I went to university and I was learning more about cinema and more about movies, I was being introduced to films that cinema historians should be watching and this kind of stuff. So I kind of lost track of the movies that I really enjoyed as a yeah. kid. And I, I don't think I'd ever really kind of gone back to the Lost Boys uh, in a way that I'd probably gone back to other movies like an American Wealth in London or something like that. And it wasn't until I started hearing the stories of, you know, how specific things were done, like some of the actual filmmaking techniques in this movie mm -hmm. that I just fell in love with it all over again. You know, this was the first film to use um, like the, uh, the industrial uh, airplane cables for all the flying stuff. Yeah. It, before that, everybody was using piano wire. This was the first American movie not to use piano wire for flying right. techniques. You know, so it was it was a pioneer in that respect, and not a lot of people <laughs> know that. You know, and yeah, I mean, Kevin, yeah. Kevin once asked me that because we, we've we've had many discussions about the Lost Boys, and and I've always said, yeah, it's it's a good film. I say, but it's I said no. This is a conversation we had. I said, it's, it's no way is it the best vampire film from the eighties. And he said, you tell me one better. And the only one I could think of was made in the nineties, <laughs> and it was Interview with the Vampire. So I think it's mm -hmm. very much a film of its time. It only it only works in that eighties setting uh, for for me anyway. Like just with the the style of it and the feel of it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's I, I love it now. I've watched it so many times just through, just through kind of necessity with the podcast and other things we're doing with G Tom mm -hmm. Mac and stuff. And every time I watch mm -hmm. it, I just enjoy it more and more. And, uh, well, this is the thing. I mean, I wish that I'd done a little bit more kind of critical analysis in the book, but I kind of purposely didn't do that. Otherwise it would just be an entirely different book. Mm -hmm. 
But I truly believe that The Lost Boys is the last of those magical 80s movies that kind of died out with Gen X. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 they were either about the, <clears throat> the wonderment of innocence and seeing a movie through, you know, the exaggerated lenses of a child's point of view, or it was about innocence being completely taken away from you at mm-hmm. an age where, you know, it's, you, you're almost being pillaged, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if you look at a movie like Stand By Me and you look at a movie uh, and The Lost Boys is a, is a prime example of that. I mean, it's, it's a movie, it's, 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 a, it's rebel without a cause in the eighties. There's no other yeah. way of putting it. It's yeah. literally that, you know, it's rebel without a cause with monsters, you know? <laughs> and I, I, and I think that that's, that's a hundred percent Joel Schumacher. I think that that's what he brought to it. You know, because he he was the one that really sexed it up. You know, because I I think Dick Don Dick Donner wanted the kids to be like thirteen, fourteen, and then Joel came in and they were fifteen, sixteen, and he he you know Susan Becker was the costume designer, was you know amazing costume designer. She did uh, St. Elmo's Fire for Joel as well. Yeah, but it was really but Susan will be the first person to tell you that every frame of that film and everything contained in the frame, be it the art direction, the cinematography, which again was an Oscar, was done by an Oscar winner, Michael Chapman, who shot fucking taxi driver, you know, um, <laughs> the costumes, everything was meticulously designed by Joel and it was Joel's eye. And again, this is why I want to do a chapter on him because that guy was fascinating. He started out as a, uh, a window dresser for fashion stores mm-hmm. and then wrote, car wash and the whiz in the seventies and (laughs) then directed a movie with Mr. T in the eighties. And then his career just (laughs) blew up. He's a very, very fascinating guy. And I, I owe him everything because had I not uh, worked on lost in the shadows, this is another thing that lost boys has given me. I wouldn't have met Joel. Um, and he actually sponsored my U S visa to actually go and make my first movie. Wow. And I will always be, in debt to him for that and That's uh, and yeah was, he was a lovely guy and i'll miss him you know yeah. so the least i can do is kind of put some kind of tribute in whatever we do next one of the yeah. biggest regrets for us um is i think lockdown kind of stopped us having that opportunity to actually speak to him because we were kind mm-hmm. of in line to, to to get the conversation with him where we're kind of correlates to g and uh, we have someone at home saying uh, so this is freddie beer saying it took 30 years but finally i got the book i've been waiting for all my life lost in the shadows is the lost boys bible thank you paul did you release that 30 years ago <laughs> no no i think this guy's this guy's probably about 35 36 years old and he's, he's <laughs> well, the writer <laughs> uh, your book is it's when when we talk about lost boys uh like we are just like yourself huge fans of the lost boys um always have been which is kind of what led us to manchester and started our relationship with g right and we've been part of i have certainly been part of all the, the lost boys groups online where we all kind of go mm-hmm. and and every single day there'll be about 60 new posts of people wearing new t-shirts all kind of stuff and your name has continuously popped up there continuously you're like uh, that's that's very flattering i i'm going to be 100 percent honest with you i was kind of scared away by the by the sports community um <laughs> not no not, not in a not in a no not in a sense that you know people weren't you know, the, when the book came out and the horrible thing came happened with the hardbacks there was mm-hmm. a lot of vitriol aimed at me by a specific few Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it just didn't seem to die down. So the best thing for me was to just walk away from it so that mm. people could get back to actually talking about the movie again and enjoying yeah. it. So, but yeah, uh, I, I love engage. I love engaging with fans, but you know, some people just don't want to listen to, <laughs> you know, something that you really had nothing to do with. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, which is sad because I, w- I do love talking about the book and I, you know, I learned so much about it and there's still stories that aren't in the book that I do tell people mm-hmm. when there's no lawyers around. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the cool thing though is like, I mean, I had seen a couple comments previously about it and nothing was malicious about some issues with the binding. Uh, people still want that hardcover, regardless of the... the I know issues, they do. Right? I know they I mean, do. I, sadly, I can confirm that there will never be another hardcover. So just, anything that comes out will be the soft cover. That does mean, mm. though, that does mean that any of the hardcovers that might have fallen apart are probably now collector's items. Ka-ching! So what were they complaining <laughs> yeah. about the whole time? You know, when you see that on porn... It's, uh, not it's porn like... It's like a, it's like coins. You know, people collect coins that have got flaws in them. Those are the special ones. You know, so you never, never know that there, there could be, yeah. could be a massive, massive market for that at some point. Hey, I mean, I mean, it's, 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 it's very, you know, it's very disheartening, and I felt very bad for those that did have damaged books. But then I know people that were like, well, I know this is going to be a collectible. I spent a hundred quid on getting it rebound, and now it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. a, a really so, cool thing as well. If it ever shows up on Rick Harrison's Pawn Stars, uh, when he goes, "Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna call a buddy," the buddy's gonna come down and go, "Well, you see, the original hardcover actually has a bit of an issue with the binding, so this is 100 percent real." <laughs> and then Rick's gonna offer them two dollars for it. Yeah, it's like it's at least like six to seven thousand dollars. Okay, I'll give you three bucks. <laughs> exactly. It was a co- it was a collectible ploy. Those that fell apart are the rare ones. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> Kale Alves at home says uh, on YouTube, just felt here by by sheer luck. Anyway, I can still get that book. Well, <laughs> see, everyone wants a piece of the action. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, all, all I can say is um, we we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't promise it either way at this point. Would Sorry. there be any way of getting it like in a Kindle version? Because I did when I seen that I could get nowhere near it online. I, I did go to Kindle and it wasn't there. No, I again it's all to do with their collectible, you know, yeah. ideology and aesthetic. So Yeah. But and it seems you know not only not only is your Lost Boys book sold out, but as I was flicking through the website earlier and throughout the week to kind of see if I could get a hold of something just to kind of check out the way you you put your books together, because obviously it is being it's being hailed as the Holy Bible. Uh, and that's not just <laughs> for Lost Boys, but also for American Wheeler from London. Um the, again they're sold out. So there, I think there's a way that when you put Paul Davis's name to a movie and then you, you've, you've got it. It's, it's booksy. You're absolutely booksy. And I think what you <laughs> need to do are. now, right. Is go to Patreon and have people crowdfund. Right. And, and just put, put the guys aside that are making it so limited and then you buy a mansion. <laughs> <laughs> Book, booksy manner. <laughs> booksy manner. Right. People can come in. <laughs> By the books, then I think I it's, think yeah. Uh, see now you now you're just putting ideas in my head, and that's dangerous. Well, <laughs> people, when I get ideas, I'm, I can guarantee this, right? For anybody that's watching this, that's part of the Lost Boys community, if if there was a way that, that your next books, based on other movies, were to be funded and 
produced a different way in a way that everybody can get one. I guarantee that there's so many people that have put their money just behind you because the work and the passion that you've put into the previous books, people now have that trust. Like if you see Joel Schumacher's name on a movie, you you know that you know what you that you're going to see something that you're going to love. And I think if you could do that, that would be pretty cool for for everyone. I know that I know that I'm not alone in saying that because I I've I've seen like G had sent me a picture of that book and I'd seen it at conventions. I'd seen it everywhere. Never been able to get their hands on it. I went on eBay and it was like 250 quid. I was like, yeah, scalper. That's what we call scalpers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I'll be look, I've even I've even messaged people who are selling the book. For that uh-huh. price, and I was like, "Dude, I'm the author. <laughs> I do not approve." <laughs> That's awesome. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not cutting on this deal. I do not approve. Yeah, and and did they no, give I, you I any kind of response? But yeah, we we've actually no, seen that. We've no, seen no, that no, before. We've seen that before with uh, uh, certain people doing price hikes on a book, and the author just going, "This is nothing. <laughs> this is nothing to do with me." You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I I don't do it on. The, I don't just do it on the books as well. I even get. A, I, I'll sometimes scan like torrent sites for people who have torrented my movies yeah. <laughs> and message their users, and you'll see how quickly they their pants turn yeah. brown and those torrents disappear. <laughs> like, Hello, <laughs> <laughs> none shall use my content without my permission. What movie is that? <laughs> what movie can, is that? Can we, have, can we have your permission? Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's oh, labyrinth. 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 Uh, anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, that would be a good. That would be. I'd be. A, I would. I would absolutely buy up a labyrinth book. I mean, you should. I think there's that, already one in production. I know someone who works in the archive at Henson. So if anything oh. labyrinth kind of is going on, I usually oh. get the get the nudge. I think that there is something going on labyrinth wise though, because obviously they're doing a sequel. So I think anything that's gonna that's gonna come out will be you know, to kind of help promote that while keeping the original movie and in, in the, the spotlight. Yes, but no, I, you know, I, I go on, sorry. sorry. I was just going to say, speaking of sequels, uh, this is just a, not uh, Kevin to an author here. This is Kevin Lost Boy fan to another Lost Boys fan. What did you think of, because for me and just for everyone, We'd waited since the 80s to see a sequel to Lost Boys. And then Warner Premier, when I found it was Warner Premier and it wasn't going to be in the cinema, gutted straight away. But I was like, still, I'm all right with that because the trailer has Cry Little Sister in it and we had Angus Sutherland as the the new protagonist. I was like, this could still do something. What did you think of it? Uh, I've not seen either of them. Ah, well, don't watch a third. No offense to to the... I've not seen either of them. I, I kind of got what i needed from the trailer and right. and knew from there that it wasn't going to be something that i was going to enjoy i see um, <laughs> that's what, what i love about people when they comment online is they really they really have a good think about what they write before they do it and they they, they they're so eloquent in the responses we've got an absolute i mean this is going to go down in history lost boys the tribe sucks ass um so yeah that's uh, that's that's one for the bible <laughs> I didn't say it, but that's kind of the vibe I got from the trailer. It's where you know, it's I, 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 I feel like publicly I have to be polite about movies because I know how hard it is to make one now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can't even if I absolutely despise something, on the record I'll always say it's a movie. <laughs> you know, they they you made you a made, movie. You, you know? made a movie. It's it's not easy. You know, there's it's, I mean, it's really in, in the limited. I've, 
the limited kind of experience that we've had in it now, there's, there's so much, so much planning goes into it, so much time goes into it, and you look at how much time and effort you put in, and, and it's it's worth maybe three minutes of footage. You're like, wow, this really yeah. is a marathon. Yeah. I, um, I've been on the wrong side of Rotten Tomatoes, so it's, it's <laughs> that, that's bad enough. That's bad enough. But when your colleagues start trashing you, I'm like, nah. Oh, oh no. shit. No. I mean, I'll even refer to Exorcist 2 as the greatest drinking game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There are pros. There are pros to the second Lost Boys movie. Uh, quickly, Angus Sutherland, you're hearing almost, you're almost hearing Kiefer Sutherland's voice through that guy. Right, and mm-hmm. he did look really cool for what they were trying to pull off. They were on a, it was like a Santa Cruz, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, so the, the, there was that. There was uh, you did see Sam eventually at the end, depending on what mm-hmm. alternate version and Jameson. I, th- I think I think I saw the clip of Corey coming back mm-hmm. at the end, and this yeah. comment that we just got from Heather is exactly it's it's ugly baby syndrome. Yeah, I like when people. <laughs> It's exactly what it is. It's when people show you a picture of their baby and like, isn't this the sweetest thing? And it's like, it's like Jason at the end of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. That's spot on. Well, well done, Heather. That was amazing. It was. It was. That was Robo shit. This guy asks Paul, "Have you ever visited Santa Cruz, where the Lost Boy film was made? You have to have, right? I no, I haven't." I haven't. Um, I was supposed to go um, when I was. So this is one cool thing that happened when I, I went to LA. I tracked down the original stills photographer for the film, mm. and uh, she basically just gave me th- all three of her the folders full of the original contact sheets for every single photo that she took on the set, mm-hmm. and, and literally let let me stay in her house for three days, scanning every <laughs> single one of them. Well, so wild. I came away with like 10,000 photos from that. And I think there's only like 350 in the book. So there's always plenty left over for us to go and revisit and do another edition. Mm. Um, no, I didn't go to Santa Cruz. I was in touch with Joe, who still runs the comic book store that they, mm. they filmed in. Brilliant. Um, he was really cool. We did an interview with him. Um, but I couldn't make it up there for some reason. But I did make a point of uh going to the original trestle bridge which isn't in santa cruz people think it is but it's not there there is a trestle bridge in santa cruz by the boardwalk but that's not the one they filmed on the one that they filmed in is actually by uh, magic mountain uh in in southern california so i went to that and i actually wrote my intro for the book sitting in the middle of the bridge wow because i'm a fucking nerd um <laughs> i love that stuff <laughs> love that stuff and then uh what was the other place i went to the exterior of the cave so the entrance of the the cave oh, where yeah. we blew it man we lost it shut up we unraveled <laughs> in the face of the enemy start off they pull up my instagram let us they open the rising talk that bit, <laughs> that, bit. <laughs> that bit so i went there which was really cool so, but no i've not been to santa cruz i still i still love to go Ah, we I would be pretty cool to check that place out. Uh, Slippin' Jimmy <laughs> says, <"What's your> favorite, <laughs> "What is your favorite song in the Lost Boys soundtrack?" And what did you think of Marilyn Manson's "Cry Little Sister"? That's one thing that is amazing about the Lost Boys is the soundtrack is just you can yeah. buy that CD and you will never skip a track. My favorite song on the soundtrack is actually uh, "Beauty Has a Way" by Mummy Calls. I think it's Stuck an amazing song. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> I do love that song. But you know, it's got. I think there's really only one song that I do skip. 
and that's um, Power Play, Eddie and the Tides. I'm not a big fan of that song. Yeah, not a massive fan (laughs) of that song. But every other song on that, you know, In Excess and Jimmy Barnes songs, Laying Down the Law, Good Times, Mm -hmm. Cry Little Sister is, you know, that that song is the film, you know. Mm. Um, And I'm sure G's told you a million times about how, you know, when Joel got the cassette, he just played it all day, every day, continuously. And uh, what else is on there? Oh, Timmy, of course, Timmy Capello. Um, <laughs> I still believe. One, uh, that's that's one of my, okay. You asked me about one of my favorite stories from mm-hmm. the Lost Boys, and this was one where Joel was fifty-fifty about it being included. But I asked him if we could, and he pissed himself laughing and said, "Yes, of course, please put it in." <laughs> um, so they did three takes of the concert sequence from multiple cameras, various different angles. Because uh, that's one thing that Timmy says. Like he he feels like he was literally only there for like two hours. Um, it was probably more like four, but there was a lot of drugs on that set. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they they had to halt filming. Um, mm. Like Timmy stopped and was really uncomfortable and couldn't go on. And uh, Joel got a call on the walkie-talkie to go and talk to him. So he went up on the stage and he was like, Timmy, what's wrong? And he's like, Joel, I didn't want this to be a thing, but I'm, I'm wearing a cock ring and it's really starting to chafe. <laughs> I didn't want this to be a thing. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and Joel's response, Joel's response is the best ever. He looked at him and he was like, do you need to change? Do you need to take it off? He's like, yeah. He's like, what made you think we were shooting your junk? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just watch the movie. You'll see why. (laughs) That guy still rocks, by the way. Again, we've seen him in Manchester. And he's, what a presence he's got, you know, and he's just, he's electric. He really is. Mm Um, he's incredible. I mean, he's he's still got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he really does. Um, and I mean, I think everybody, a lot of people watching it go, "Ah, oh, he's the sax man," you know. But he was he was Tina Turner's sax man, you know. The, the guy he was he was talented. He's I, talented I sometimes, guy. you know, I, I told you before we came online that I do some video DJing, so I, I tend to do like a lot of nostalgia nights. And what I would do is like I'll normally do like a pre-show at seven o'clock, and I'll play like classic ads from whatever decade I'm going to be DJing um, for for that night. So it's like just an hour solid of um, vintage adverts, be it from the 80s, 70s, 90s, whatever the night is. And he's actually in the 1986 mm. Pepsi commercial that Tina Turner did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although, although he's playing um, uh, he's playing keyboard. He's not playing saxophone. But it's definitely him. It's definitely him. Right? What, what am I seeing here about the deleted scene? I'm seeing oh, a comment here about the deleted scene. Uh, the surf Nazis head and David Axe. They, there, there were a few things that were cut from the surf <laughs> Nazi thing. Interesting story. It wasn't actually Joel Schumacher who directed that sequence. It was a second unit um, scene that was actually directed by the producer Harvey Bernard, who uh, anybody who ever had the pleasure of being in his company would tell you that he was just a giant teddy bear. And he gets given the duty of directing the goriest scene in the movie. And 
but but the reason being because it was already kind of considered that the film would be PG thirteen. That's what Warner Brothers wanted. And because Harvey being the gentle soul that he was, Joel kind of felt like that scene was in safe hands with him. And then they got the rushes back and it was the <laughs> glorious thing they'd ever seen. God. So yeah, there was a, there was a moment. So I think in the movie now, what you see, you see Kiefer kind of bite into the side of the guy's yeah, head. Like an Easter egg. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of shoots out, <laughs> the blood shoots out and then it cuts. He did pull like a chunk of flesh out. Um, and there was another moment because you never really see the fingernails. The only time you see the fingernails close up is when uh, Paul dies in the bathtub and his hand's still on the yeah. the rim yeah. and the hand slowly comes down. But they were actually cut like um, uh, exacto blades, so Stanley knives. <laughs> so they were they were all at uh, at, an, at an angle. And there was a moment mm-hmm. where, and they came up with it very very last minute. Um, <clears throat> this was a story that makeup artist Ken Diaz told me. Um, they came into his trailer. And they said, we need a uh, throat slice appliance in 20 minutes. Can you do it? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he didn't actually have anything to do it. So this is is why I love makeup artists. He went to craft service. He got a handful of gummy bears and a a giant plate full of uh, various cheeses. And he went back to the, the makeup trailer. And he melted the gummy bears to be blood. And he sculpted the cheese to be in into a, an appliance what? and he went and put that in 20 minutes he built that went and put it on the surf nazi's neck with the, with the gummy bears inside it and kind of put cheese over the top and then there was a moment where Kiefer kind of flicked the the nails up and sliced the guy's throat and you saw it split open and everything come out and it wasn't in the movie they ended up cutting it and ken was <laughs> like it's like I put twenty minutes of my hard work into that and cut it. <laughs> twenty whole minutes. God. So it was such a waste of gummy bears. Oh, that would have been amazing to have seen. That's just it's one of those. There was a lot. There was a lot. And 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 the thing is, another thing about that scene is that only the close-ups, or the only time you ever actually see the boys face on, mm-hmm. is actually the actors. Most of it was done by doubles. Because mm. the the boy, I think the boys were also shooting the cave sequence at that mm. time, so they were constantly being called back and forth to to do like close ups and and whatnot. But the majority of that scene, and in fact, there's a moment where you see David from behind throw one of the bodies on the fire. It's clearly yeah. not Kiefer; it's a guy in a wig. So, <laughs> yeah, the sound it makes it when the body hits it. the fire, it's like, that. and you just hear them all going, "Woo!" Oh, that was a. That was something to watch when I was like nine. <laughs> your, your your affinity for horror started way fucking younger than anybody would expect. Yeah, man. because I'd go and stay with my cousins, and they were all older than me, so they'd be like, ah, "Let's put Freddy oh, no. Krueger on." I'm talking to Paul. He was right. three. <laughs> three. I was about to say, yeah, because I made the comment in Beware the Moon about uh, trying to work out how to use a video recorder when I was three. Yeah, yeah, I saw I saw an American Wealth in London when I was three years old. It was. Uh, 10th of February, 1985. And I only know that because there is a BBC One archive online and I knew that it was the British television premiere. So I just backtracked <laughs> and I found that it was on the 10th of February. So. Uh, wow. Crazy, <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, do you know what I Horror's a funny thing. I think that when you see it when you're, when you're of a certain age, if you're a bit too young, you can watch it and enjoy it without really understanding it. 
as well because mm-hmm. that, that happened to me with uh, Halloween, the original 1978 Halloween. I used to watch it when I was a kid and then I, mm-hmm. I tried to watch it again when I was maybe, actually after I saw American Wolf in London, I, I watched Halloween again and it fucking scared me. Um, and it didn't when I was I, five. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think horror affects us a lot more when we're older because we can understand the psychological implementations of a horror movie you know when we're younger it's it's eye candy Mm -hmm. you know you're not really kind of taking it in that that's why i had that effect with the exorcist when i saw it when i was 17 because i finally understood the story yeah you know and that to me was more terrifying than anything that you actually see um but yeah it's you know i i've made two horror movies for blumhouse since and you know i both of them I've, i've tried to have fun with you know, because they, they kind of are in the the realm of fantasy. So if I'm going down that route, I'd never try to, I, I never ask the audience to suspend disbelief. You know, I'm yeah. I'm not asking you to say that this is happening in a in a real world. You know, my first film, The Body, is about a hitman who lose who kills someone on Halloween, and because it's Halloween, everybody thinks it's a really elaborate costume, and then he fucking loses the body, kind of weekend at Bernie style, and he's got to get it back. <laughs> you know, and. And, you know, it's a bunch of drunk kids who really don't know how to get rid of a body. And, you know, they've seen Breaking Bad. So, oh, no, no we'll burn it and we'll chop it up and all this kind of stuff. And But the kind of reality of that is that these people don't know what they're doing. And obviously, no, people wouldn't do this if they actually stole a real body from someone. But we've all <laughs> this is my analogy. We've all made bad decisions on a night out. <laughs> yeah yeah that's the reality that's the only reality i i asked from you and i actually um i i had nods to both of my books in that first film as well i had john landis in a cameo uh he came by on the second day of filming and we shot a little thing with him and then i wanted a lost boys reference in there somewhere and i had a um a, a vocal part that i needed to to cast um who everybody thinks is nick cage but it's, it's actually alex winter to actually uh, <laughs> the voice part for us, um, which is really cool of them. Because it, our, our only um, contact had been through the book, and he obviously trusted me after that. And he came in for a couple of hours, did his lines like a total pro, and and was done. And yeah, so I got to I got to reference the two films that kind of got me to the dance in the first place. The, in the, in that one. So it's still not out in the UK. That's what really bugs me. Damn. They're on yeah, Hulu these, in the States. These distribution mm. deals can be an absolute pain in the ass. We've kind of learned this, uh, speaking to a few different people in here. Um, yeah, so, so. Sony are in the right. So it's, it was a series called Into the Dark, which is um, which was made for Hulu. It's Blumhouse and Hulu. And it's an anthology series where um, they're feature length movies, but the only thing that connects them all is they're all set on a specific day or a holiday for the month that it airs. Right. So mine was the fir- mine was the first one and it was for October. So it was Halloween. And then they did like a Thanksgiving one and a Christmas one, St. Patrick's day, Valentine's day, blah, 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 blah. So it went down the line and they did two seasons of it. And I did the very first one. And then they asked me to come back to do the first episode of the second season, but they're, they're movies. They're, they're 90 minute feature films. Right. So, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do. Um, yeah. What about you? You're, you're England, right? Um, am I correct in saying that you're yes. located yeah. in London? Yeah, I'm in uh, based in South London. Ah, right. If you are ever up in Scotland, we uh, we work closely with a, a 
local cinema and it'd be kind of it'd be amazing to get the lost boys fans together and do a screening with yourself there um where they can bring absolutely i'm to, down to sign it and not only that yeah, but we no could i would love that your, we could also get one of your projects as well and uh screen that to kind of let it be that more would be of an fun because it it does have it, it does have a home in terms of mm-hmm. uk both of them do have a home in terms of uk distribution so mm-hmm. you can call sony and mm-hmm. ask them if they can screen it it's just oh. not found a home in terms of like streaming platform yet um well, I, I think that's, it's some kind of that's good then, yeah i think it's a complication I, I think it's some kind of complication with hulu because disney own it and i think they don't want to put it on amazon or because her conflict of interest it's just it's, mm. this whole business <laughs> is politics yeah this whole oh, business yeah. is politics well, the sad reality cool. is without the business there is no show that's yeah. uh that's uh, absolutely true it's kind of the, the sad part of the mm-hmm. entertainment industry because you kind of you get to love these things and then you realize that they all come with a huge price tag and usually not so yeah. much on the bottom line so you're like ah mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is a passion project <laughs> and, uh, yeah i mean i mean this isn't me kind of shitting on the industry that i try and earn money in but you know you can write the best script ever you could mm-hmm. i could write the most perfect lost boy sequel and take it to Warner Brothers, and there would still be twenty-five people in that room that have to justify their job by fucking with it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. it's a sad a sad reality. You hear about a lot. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts by comedians and stuff like that, and they, and mm-hmm. they write they write for people and they, or they write they write shows, and then they get these execs that come in and just people that don't understand comedy and just give them notes and like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> it's like mm. just people know what they like and just just let me put it out people will mm-hmm. watch it but yeah. there's there's too much kind of it's, self-interest, it's, self-interest. Yeah. it's <clears throat> uh the the phrase too many cooks spoil yeah. the broth has never been more apt you know it is it's, it, m- movies these days they're designed by committee it's it's very difficult unless your name is like christopher nolan you know to to have a singular vision make it from the page to the end product it's just yeah. this it's this the reality of the business the way that it is now sadly it's a real, but, shame. Um, it's a real shame but yeah we, we should definitely look at doing that so if you're ever up here in scotland or maybe we can get the stars to align to have you up here in scotland when because uh, we have we we know that there is a solid lost boys fan base here we uh we did a screening where g tom mack came over uh, mm-hmm. from america and he came over and that place was packed out we've done a q a we've done it almost like what we're doing now kind of like a live podcast he played songs not only did he play his songs from the musical cry little sister but he also played mm-hmm. songs that were in the movie as well so he was playing oh, some wow. of the, okay. like uh, people are strange stuff yeah. like that um so one, I, it was one in- of my fondest mm-hmm. memories one of my fondest memories we were supposed to go to the horror hound convention when the book was uh due to be released but the print mm-hmm. was delayed so I, I essentially turned up with no books but um <laughs> but everyone i'll sign your tits <laughs> <laughs> were you there <laughs> still got the signature mate <laughs> I thought, I thought I recognized you. Um, but yeah it's, it's like, but they they had a bunch of people there they had timmy capello g tom jameson billy worth uh chance corbett uh corey feldman you know all those guys came and uh i'm a bit of a karaoke whore 
Oh. And they had they they had karaoke on uh, on the first night on the Friday, and then on the Saturday night it was like the big blowout with Timmy Capello playing G Tom and all those guys. And I did on the Friday night. I did People Are Strange on karaoke, <laughs> and someone filmed it and showed it to G. And so the next night when he went up on stage, he called me up to sing People Are Strange. <laughs> and, and and people will tell you the people who were there who were watching it. I was literally crying the entire time while I was singing it. I was just like, yeah. my eight-year-old self is just <laughs> shitting himself right now. It's like... Mm. Do you ever just look back so, on everything that you've done and think, how the fuck have I managed to do this? <laughs> I w- you know what? It's something that I, I've... Uh, the past couple of years have been really tough. Um, when I finished my second movie, we weren't even a week into editing it and my mom passed away. Um, and she was in London and I was in LA. So, you know, um, so I, I had to essentially abandon the project. I had to give it up to one of the producers to finish. Um, and I, I still really haven't gone over that, you know, cause there was a whole lot of people that came with it. Or, you know, I, yeah. I had to sell my family home and, you know, it was just a lot of change very, very quickly. Um, mm. and so I, I kind I kind of feel like I, I should stop and smell the roses a little bit more often because I, my, my problem is I'm a workaholic. For me, it's always about what's next, what's next, what's next. I never stop and appreciate mm-hmm. what I've done. I stop and criticize what I've done, but <laughs> I never stop <laughs> and actually appreciate it. Um, and, and it, it, it is strange. It is very, very strange. I mean, kind of like being this nerdy kid and now kind of having this, I'll forever have this attachment to not only an American wealth in London and the lost boys, but also Dr. Who I got to play a monster in Dr. Yeah, Who yeah. I was, a, I was a Wookiee in star Wars. So, cool. yeah, man. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I know, you know, there's a part in the back of my head where one day it will just hit me that, you know, I'm, I'm forever going to have the privilege of being part of that, but yeah. I'm too damn forward thinking. I'm too focused on, I, I I feel stagnant when I start, you know. Even through the entire lockdown, I think I've written three TV pilots, and I'm in the <laughs> I'm on the verge of um, writing a new feature screenplay, and I've just been attached to direct another thing, which is currently in rewrites. So things are starting to pick up again, but you know, with everything that happened at the end of 2019, and then of course the pandemic on top of that, mm-hmm. you know, it's unlike Alan Partridge, it's very hard to bounce back. <laughs> yeah i mean I, that's that sounds like a movie in itself <laughs> what you could do you could do oh, your God, own no one will watch that no i i, no, I stopped <laughs> i guarantee stopped you'll that. get somebody somebody will comment within the next minute saying that they would watch it i guarantee yeah. you i mean you someone already said that they would 100 percent travel from sweden just to see you at a screening in scotland uh, a lost boy screening which, by the way, I mean, if you're coming from Sweden, we can't not do it now, right? So let's start putting some pen yeah. to paper. I, I can't make an excuse about not traveling from London to Scotland. If you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, kind of guilt me into that one. <laughs> and then I, I think, like, uh, yeah, I think there's, def- <laughs> there's definitely something to be organized there. And I think it would be, be a great night. And uh, No, I'd love to. I, my, my grandparents are actually from Inverness, so I've not been to Scotland. Oh, for nice. For a while, I used to spend summers in Inverness all the time. I think the last time I went was '99, so I'm well overdue a, 
mm-hmm. for revisit. And I've never mm-hmm. been to anywhere other than in Venice and Aberdeen, I think. So mm. it'd be nice to we see are, other parts. Well, we're right between uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, okay. Pretty central. Like, uh, I imagine it'd just be a, a train, as you can get a, a, a straight train from London right up to yeah, yeah, yeah. Edinburgh. Right? Mm-hmm. right? Let's mm-hmm. make this work. Let's make it. So if, you, if you're from Scotland. I think we can make something happen. Uh, and Or maybe if you're from Scotland or you're from the surrounding areas and you guys would like to come and meet Paul at an event, we can really put some, we can put some absolute production behind it it would be nice it would be nice to finally sign some copies of the book because everybody else in the book has signed them except me (laughs) (laughs) i I would have i would have been i would have been at the manchester thing in a heartbeat had i known it was going on it's it's unfortunate that didn't happen i mean that that is a the conventions are opening back up and i think the next Mm -hmm. time there's a, a lost boys reunion somewhere that it kind of has to be said you do kind of come with a package now you're forever kind of ingrained with that at least with the fans and it's mm. the fans that make it i mean it was the fans that made lots fa- essentially see this is the thing the fans know that the promoters mm-hmm. don't <laughs> the, the yeah. fans need to be more vocal <laughs> exactly so it's funny <laughs> how they're always vocal the working, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, could, we could actually do, um when we when we win i'll say when Sorry, we can i just can I, can I just say something quickly the the problem is that people are almost they're always more vocal about thing about things that they don't want as opposed to things that they want and i think yeah. that's why possibly a lot of promoters are a little bit out of touch because nobody ever gets mm. in touch with promoters to say this is what we want they just say what the fuck were you doing with that and mm. we didn't want that and that's that's the problem it's it's the it's the negativity that spreads and there's never a, there's never a lot of mm-hmm. positive ideas getting put forward and it's a, yeah. it's a shame which, so which is why we online. refer to ex- yeah that's why we refer to Exorcist 2 as a drinking game it's not a bad movie it's just a drinking game yeah um, <laughs> it's, it's not a bad thing it's a good thing on the next prince i think here's here, here's the idea right so when your next book comes out like the the second edition hopefully this year right if we could get that and then lump it together with a cinema screening of the Lost Boys, and we could have you after or before talking about all the behind-the-scenes stuff, almost like a, a full-on trivia that goes into the movie and also goes into the book, while having everybody be able to sign the books that they have on well, and purchase new ones. Huh? You do know that next year is the thirty-fifth anniversary, right? We have to wait longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, but it'll be worth it. Yeah, yeah. So we should, we should. May, have, may have also kind, may have also kind of spoiled what we're aiming for the next print as well. <laughs> but hey, you had at least here. at least this is live. <laughs> I was just about to say. See, this is what happens when I go on live. <laughs> no, no safety net. <laughs> I can't. I can't email afterwards and say, "Can you take that bit out?" <laughs> I mean, essentially, I could, but everybody's ever they, they remember Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> Absolutely. So we will get to work on that. We'll do that for the fans, eh? By the fans, for the fans, as always. Um, and that's something I, I would. That's something I'd love to do. I'd actually just love to get my hands on a copy of the book. <laughs> so to have you there, I, I, kind, I kind of feel like with a lot of the genre, with a lot of um, uh, collectibles that come out for genre-related material, uh, IPs. Mm-hmm. If it's not done by the fans, it doesn't get done at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that's how Beware the Moon happened. That's how the yeah. Shark's Still Working documentary happened. That's how Halloween 25 Years of Terror happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a group of fans that, you know, said, we want to make something that we would watch. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, su- I suppose you could, every- argue, then- you could argue the same for um, the. Um, 
marker <coughs> the marker mode uh, exorcist yeah. thing. Although he's although he's yeah, a famous I mean, critic, he's a big fan. Yeah, he 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 had a bit. Yeah, he had a bit more clout because <laughs> he <laughs> he'd actually been he knew all those guys. He'd been interviewing mm. them from, since I think nineteen ninety was mm. the first time that he was really. Um... Oh, there you go. Oh wow, that would be incredible. Thanks. None so, for Jordan. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, that's brilliant. Um, the, there's a comment section here from from uh, Dead Mouse Productions. That would be incredible. And then we can also do a big review. Um, Dead Mouse Productions could actually could make it too. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I'll share See, mine. I'm a sharer. <laughs> See, you've done it now, Gary. <laughs> now everybody else on here who asked for is, is going to be damning you. I know, I know, absolutely. Wow. But, uh, that, that'd be pretty cool. I'd really look forward to, to reading that. That'd be amazing. And like, we, we, we do a weekly show anyway, so we'd be guilty to kind of really go into it. You should get the Dead Mouse guys on because they're mm -hmm. the documentaries that they've got in production at the moment. They've got mm -hmm. RoboDoc, the, the yes. documentary mm -hmm. here, the Robert hey. England one. <laughs> so, so I'll say Dead Mouse. DM me and we'll get you on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we did have a look at the, the website and all the stuff that you guys have done together is incredible. Um, there was the there was an it documentary as well. That was Dead Mouse, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I still don't. I think that's still forthcoming. Right, right. Am I'm, I right? Am I right, Gary? That one's still coming out. <laughs> Away from the type, man. <laughs> he said, "Bugger, bugger." <laughs> That's brilliant. And uh, we've got Yabo Yas who said, "Bot mine, so I'm good." That's brilliant. It's, it's good to see uh, that there's so many people that do have the book for everybody that doesn't. Um, but like I says, uh, everybody kind of looks at that as the holy grail of Lost Boys books. Yeah. The minute that that had gone into re like a reissue. Um, I just saw it was plastered everywhere, and then before you know it, it was the complaints. Ah, oh, missed it. It was like a day and a half here in the UK. It took for for it to be. I've out. just realised. I've just realised who Freddie Beer is. Ah, right. I, um, I think that that's um, if you guys are on the Lost Boys fan group on Facebook, that's mm -hmm. Jev who actually runs the the Lost Boys fan book, uh, Facebook right. fan uh, group. Yeah, I think yeah. that's him. I know yeah. he likes Freddy and I know he likes beer. That's my only <laughs> way. What's, your, what's so, your name? Lager Fanny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So many different options he could have had for his name. So. <laughs> yeah, that's bloody brilliant. Oh my god. I never want this show to end, but we, we aimed for about an hour and have kept you 40 minutes over the over yeah. the uh, finish line. We do need to get you back on to talk about uh, American Werewolf in London uh, because mm -hmm. we Definitely. ourselves need to kind of watch that movie and do a deep dive on that. We do mm -hmm. episodes deep dive where this, the, our audience will select a movie and we go away and watch it and then we come back and we just put, we go literally from start right to the end through the scenes and we talk about it, trivia and all the cool stuff and just our general thoughts of it um, and American Werewolf in London's one we've not done yet but it was always on the cards we should get you to do it with us and obviously being the fan that you are you could bring a bit of a a bit of your work behind the scenes with <laughs> people on it you could just I, minimize, I, I, minimize us too just let them talk for an hour <laughs> <laughs> well you could but there's a, I did it a, uh, I did an audio commentary track for the Arrow release Oh, nice. in London. Yeah. Which yeah, that's the one I've which, got. 
that's the one I've got. So the the commentary, go 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 and listen to the commentary because that was a very very strange day, and it it's a caffeine fueled two hours that I didn't realize at the time that I could ask the guy recording it to pause, like if I need to like gather my thoughts or anything. So the entire thing. I just shot off the top of my head from start to finish. <laughs> and it's almost as though I can't get the information out fast enough. Right, right, okay. Yeah. That could be up there with the, the Schwarzenegger Total Recall commentary. Have you oh, seen this? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is this is me with the towel on my head so they don't know where it the signal's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just telling you what's happening on screen. Yeah. <laughs> It's the uh, it's the descriptive uh, audio channel. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. it is. It's essentially like there's if, no if trivia you, in it whatsoever. No, if you if you want to watch Total Recall and you're blind, turn on the Schwarzenegger commentary and you'll know what's mm-hmm. going on. <laughs> we we need to do a watch along. We really need to do a watch along and and give ours our own one as well. Yeah, that could be fun. Well, we, could do, cool, we could do if we, you know just putting it out there. We could do a watch along for both Werewolf and Lost Boys, and I can mm-hmm. give you trivia tracks as we go along. Hell yeah, that'd be pretty cool. We'll do that for, I, mean, that'd for be sure. fun. I think this is the start absolutely. of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it's great that he doesn't have to get an airplane. Well, he can still get a plane, but he's not that far away, which kind of helps because we do a lot of cool stuff up, up this end. So just the uh-huh. getting getting you up and uh, we'll definitely make that It'll happen. happen. It'll happen. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I mean, we, you. we have only covered a, a portion of what we yeah. wanted to talk to you about. Um, but like See, I, said, I knew it was Jeff. He just replied. <laughs> it is me. <laughs> hey, Jeff. It's me. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Class. The last uh, time the last time he saw me, I didn't have this much gray hair. So that's <laughs> <laughs> so much the production of the book has had its toll on me. And thank you to Jeff for running such an awesome fan group. Yeah. Uh, there is only like probably. three main ones, and his is definitely one of them. Well, he, whenever we've done like reprints, he's the first person I go to because I know that mm. the link will immediately go on that group. And, yeah. and I know that a lot of people have bought it because of Jeff kind of singing its praises from the mountains mm-hmm. like Julie Andrews. So I, I owe a lot <laughs> to him as well. <laughs> that's that's amazing. That's a, it's, it's really good to kind of have that, especially when there's a... It's good when you can get the select audience in one place and guys mm-hmm. like Jeff... Uh, Jeff, guys like him, uh, it benefits everyone to have someone that can kind of keep it all in their one place, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think even Gary uh, Dead Mouse would would say mm-hmm. that we we were surprised that this this recent run went as fast as it did because we did reprint Beware the Moon, mm-hmm. and it took us to get Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg to tweet about it until they right. actually started to shift. So they yeah. were. Wow gathering dust for a while people didn't know that they were there but with lost boys boom gone yeah and i don't think either of us were expecting that. i think we were kind of expecting a slower um takeoff kind of like with beware the moon but yeah. no nope. oh, gary i'll have a beware the moon by the way <laughs> <laughs> i think those are still available yeah. jmac <laughs> no they're sold out also i tried to get one <laughs> yeah, yeah if, if this has taught me anything i will never underestimate the lost boys fan group again yeah <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not 
but it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we hope you've. Oh, I, I, we're that used to talking to other people and a different uh, time zone that that we forget that you're actually the same time zone as us. So I like, <laughs> hope you have a great start to your day as ours ends. But <laughs> we hope you have a great evening. <laughs> I can pretend. I can pretend. I'll just stay awake for your benefit. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's bedtime. Uh, bedtime, boys. <laughs> so yeah, we will we will get to work on uh, making the 35th anniversary uh, Paul Davis night and. Uh, and Dead Mouse Productions as well, and we will also uh, we'll we'll link up again soon to do some uh, American Werewolf in London. And I mean, you know, I, I can't I can't speak on behalf of Gary, but even if we do mm -hmm. do something, is there a, Gary? Mm -hmm. Is there an opportunity where we could just get like a small print run, <laughs> especially for that event? Maybe that would be cool. <laughs> that would be he, he's he's now like very theatrically typing the letters C. You and <laughs> <laughs> oh, he said maybe. He said maybe. Well, may maybe he's a lot more polite than what I thought he was going to say. <laughs> That's promising. I'll, I'll take maybe. <laughs> See, look, there's already there's already uh, the want for it there in the comment section, so it has to happen. It has to happen, but it will be definitely we'll definitely be well publicized in the newspapers and stuff. All this the cool stuff that we're doing, so it'll be a really good night for for all involved for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And he and actually, uh, Kevin will pay for Heather Dow's ticket because he snapped her knee. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. She broke it herself. <laughs> yep. And on that note, that's very uh, that's very cryptic for you. So <laughs> I didn't break her knee. There's more context to that. Now I'm definitely not going to bed. I've got to crack code. Uh, long story short, Heather Dow is J Max's twin sister who's really good friends with my wife. She came up one night and she, she was begging me to show her something. Tried to show her it in the safest way possible. Her body's not built right. Her leg snapped. It was nothing to do with me. Get, this, this answers no questions whatsoever. More questions. So many more. more. More questions than answers there, Kevin. That's a podcast in itself. <laughs> And the nicest way possible. to I show her something. <laughs> it wasn't built that way. <laughs> See you next Wednesday. <laughs> when you put it like that. When you put it like that. It you totally put it like that. Those are your words. <laughs> are you using my words to, to frame me? It's the, 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 the same way I write my books. I never do my own words. I just quote other people. <laughs> I'm a oh, professional at this. The way oh, I goodness. said it made it sound more uh, sinister. <laughs> Jesus, that, wow. Jordan, that's what happened. Going after how to restrain someone safely. Okay, see, that's all we needed. That's all we needed. So here's how you do something safely. <laughs> Put it this way: I restrained her. I now. Shudder to think what you do when you're not being safe. <laughs> oh, it was one of those Bite into the things. side of the head, chunks come out. You would fucking yeah. bonfire scene from Lost Boys. Honestly, honestly it, it couldn't have happened so... Uh, like, I did it so soft and so slow, and all i done was really slow-mo trip her up, and her leg snapped. I was like, how do you even snap... How do you even snap a leg when you're... When, like, nothing was happening, but... 
I don't know, she's built not the same way as everybody else. And this we established this, Heather. We established this that night. <laughs> Just that's how you end a podcast about the lost boys. <laughs> that was your fault. I was I was doing the outro and you segued me. <laughs> oh, so I think it's when in doubt, let... blame the leg. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's uh, bedtime for everybody, I think. So thanks, thanks to everybody that came along. Thanks to you, Paul, as well. That was uh, no, an absolute you. blast. Want to have you on again soon? As soon as mm -hmm. you're willing to give us your time again, that was that was fantastic. No, thanks Absolutely. very much. No, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you again, and we shall look forward to the next time. We have been Kevin Wells, J Mac, Paul Davis. Make sure to go out and uh, I'd say go out and buy the book. I can't even say that, but watch out for when the next reruns come because they will. And when they come, well, you watch get them social back. media for when everybody gets their copy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and go ahead and follow uh, Paul on his social media. Also, you can find him on Twitch where you do your DJ. Where you do your DJ. Yes. Yes, that is where I do my DJ. Don't expect too much from it, though, because I do really just don't take it seriously myself. <laughs> so, I, I, uh, progress, I progressively get drunk throughout the night and yeah it becomes a whole thing but it's fun that's that's pretty much what dgs though right <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and uh so you also cult screenings is where you can actually buy the book and that's where also you can see all the other projects i'm right in saying that yeah and when the book has been on sale, yes. That is yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Kessler Boy. My official can... website. I've not. I've yeah. not updated that since 2017. So I've got to do it looks about that. really nice, though. It looks really, really nice, especially for one that's not in date. I'm still yeah. getting charged by by Wix.com monthly, so I may as well use it. <laughs> Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy. <laughs> is, that what you, is that what you said while you were safely restraining? <laughs> I thought you said well, that you only used my words. Says <laughs> <laughs> <So> sister. <laughs> Again, you said it. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And on that note, we shall see you guys next week. Thank you. Take care.